Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show, that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning. You are listening to McNamara on Money, the South Shore's very own financial talk radio show. And I always forget the new tagline, Alyssa, uh, educating, educating investors uh, since 1990. Is that more or less with no educating the investors of the south shore and the merrimack valley and the right i forgot i i I try to be inclusive as i can but i always forget that part Mm -hmm. um so good morning uh this is kirk reed uh joined this morning by my wife and business partner Alyssa mcdamara reed good morning Morning. Uh, and we also have a special guest today, uh, Mr. Kurt Zarnowski. Good morning, Kurt. Hey, good morning. Good to be back with you. Uh, so, Kurt uh, is a, uh, well, now, I guess, semi-retired, but a longtime uh, employee uh, of the Social Security Administration. Uh, I forget how many years. I want to say it was like 30, close to 30 years? No, 34 years. 34 years uh, you worked for the Social Security Administration. Um, So that definitely qualifies as being, you know, an expert uh, in our eyes. Uh, And that's why we have you uh, on the show uh, on a a regular basis. It's been, you know, once a year for the past, I don't know how many years. It's got to have been, got to be... Six or seven. I was going to say eight. I was going to say eight, maybe, yeah. Uh, Oh, maybe. 
Yeah. Uh, so that's, you know, so that's a ringing endorsement, right? If we keep having you back, that means you're doing something right. Um, and so, you know, again, great to have you. Maybe Kurt. Uh, so besides, you know, having that 34 years of experience, I don't know if you have any, you know, a quick little other bio, anything else you want to share with the listeners as far as your, you know, background or experience? Yeah, sure. You know, I, I did. I worked for the Social Security Administration for 34 years. The last 20 years of my career, my job was as the communications director mm. for Social Security here in New England, which meant I spent my time as our Canadian talking to people about the program um and uh, i'm now believe it or not in my 11th year of continuing to do that same type of work in retirement largely because i enjoy it but also because uh, clearly there's a real need for the information as i always say social security program it's more than 85 years old Believe it or not, Social Security every month pays more than $92 billion in benefits to just over 65 million people. And on top of that, there's another 176 million folks who are out there working and paying into the program. Mm-hmm. And what I've always said is despite the age of the program, despite the size of the program, and despite the economic impact that Social Security has in this country today, you know, the myths and misunderstandings that are out there about what it is as well as what it is, and they're staggering. And so I always enjoy the opportunity to come on and, and do the show with you or, or do in-person presentations to try and educate folks and help them better understand what the Social Security program is and help them better understand what it isn't. And it's so important these days as the baby boom generation storms towards retirement starts to wake up to the fact that the Social Security program as a guaranteed stream of lifetime income may well be a bigger part of their retirement income than they had anticipated. They're also recognizing maybe they don't know as much about it as they should and they're struggling to catch up. So these opportunities for us to get together and and, uh, talk to people either in person or uh, on the radio show are great ways to educate them about this uh, hugely important program that um, so many people count on uh, in retirement. Yeah, it's, you know, to, to your point, I mean, we talked to lots of folks, either, either you know, maybe existing clients or, or, or new potential clients and, you know, what people sometimes, you know, think, you know, the way it works is, you know, not often the way it works. Um, and so it's, you know, as, even though the information is, you know, readily available, it, it can be a little, a little daunting uh, to, to maybe, you know, comb through it and figure out how exactly it applies to your situation. And, uh, so it is, it is something that's, that needs to be addressed and, 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 and the education needs to be, yeah, uh, you know, expounded upon like we're trying to do today. Sure. And, you know, that was one of the things when I worked for social security that it would frustrate me, I'd be out there trying to educate folks while your age, because people really need to start planning for retirement when they start their first job. And I go out there and try and reach out to younger workers and help them understand. And it was, uh, really difficult. And finally it dawned on me, well, there's a reason why. It's because people your age with your kids, you're busy doing other things, educating the kids. And and so it's only after you reach that certain phase in life that you're nearing retirement and uh, you start to focus on the program. And so that's basically what I've been trying to do these 10 years or so is to carve out that audience of people who are nearing retirement. They're uh, these are teachable moments for folks because they're starting to pay attention. They should have paid attention before, but for you know any one number of reasons they haven't. Now better understand that. So it's you know trying to reach these people as they near retirement, trying to help them understand, um, as I say, what the program is and what it isn't. And the key thing 
that I try and emphasize is people need to understand it was never intended to be anyone's sole source of income in retirement. Yeah. It's always been intended to provide a base or foundation of income that people can count on being there for them, but it's a base of income protection that people must take steps to supplement. And the sooner they start to do that, the better off they're gonna be and the more likely they are to have that comfortable retirement. So there's a bunch of things that people need to know about what it is, but equally importantly, what it isn't. And yeah. that, that foundation. Kurt, has your job gotten a little easier the last few years just because they did close some of those loopholes with regard to collection, you know, spout, the opportunities that spouses have to collect a little bit? Well, it's a, little, a little less complicated, I it's think. A little less complicated. You're back yeah. to, um, you know, basic uh, fundamentals, if you will. Yeah. Um, basic baseball type of thing, because some of those strategies uh, are just about completely gone. Yeah. But it still doesn't mean there isn't a need to educate people about the basics of the program. Yeah, I mean, it's still the windfall elimination, the government pension offset, these things people, you know, con constantly uh, oh. have questions on. So, yeah, we'll get into that today. Great. Yep. Absolutely. But yeah, there's still that, that fundamental principle of it's an earned right. You qualify for benefits because you work and pay into the program and then qualify for benefits. You need to know how much you're going to get. You need to know when you can collect. You need to know the impact of work. You need to know taxation of benefits, spousal benefits. So there are a number of issues that, that uh, people need to know about, even with the elimination of some of those uh, uh, claiming strategies that yeah. have been all over the range for about 10 years or so. Yeah. You, you know, it, it occurred to me while, you know, just now we were talking and, and I could be wrong, but, you know, for somebody like you, Kurt, that, you know, worked for the Social Security Administration, which I, you know, would, would guess is a, you know, government, you know, entity, did, were you paying into Social Security while you were working for them? <laughs> oh, good question. And the answer is I wasn't. Oh, interesting. Because I'm so old. Oh, right. <laughs> okay. So the federal, no, the federal government yeah. operates two separate retirement systems. The older system, the old civil service retirement system, CSRS, <laughs> that program did not include participation in the social security program, paid instead into the civil service retirement system. But since 1984, any and all newly hired federal employees, including members of Congress, the president, members of the cabinet, everybody in the administration, has participated and paid into the Social Security program. So we're nearing 40 years now where federal government employees do pay into Social Security. It's just dinosaurs like us who have been hired so far in the past that weren't covered under the program. But, you know, you hear um, one of those myths that are out there. I don't know whether your listeners get that email every once in a while about, you know, outrage about how can members of Congress legislate over the future of the Social Security program if they're not paying into Social Security? Well, that's just wrong. Since 1984, members of Congress have paid into the Social Security program. They're participating just like everyone else in the workforce. So if you get one of those emails, just delete it. <laughs> I've never received one of those emails, but that's interesting to know. Yeah, yeah. yeah travel around and fake yeah. outrage, feigned outrage. I think you were were you part you were part of the railroad the railroad uh, workers, Kurt? Is that is that where you were? No. So there was the, yeah. well, no. I, I took extensive training, but I'm bum. But I wasn't a railroad employee. <laughs> okay. Um, All right. There was actually that separate system. So there, there, there has been since Social Security started a separate parallel track 
Oh God, I'm hot. Oh boy. Uh, oh boy. The railroad retirement system, um, which provides coverage and it's very similar to the social security program for people who work in the railroad industry. The railroad retirement system was already in place at the time social security was created. So that's why railroad employees uh, weren't brought into social security. So yeah, you had at, at the federal level and back in the, in the mid thirties, you had the social security program brand new. You had the railroad retirement system already in place and you had the civil service retirement system, which was already in place. And then again, in the mid eighties, eliminated the civil service retirement system, phased it out. Um, and uh, anyone hired since that point covered under this, again, FERS or federal employee retirement system, where people do contribute to social security at the same time they pay into a, a pension um, fund and, and uh, upon retirement get both a civil, uh, a pension and the social security benefit. Which is an important point because uh, Alyssa talked about the windfall provision and government pension offset. And if we get a chance to talk about that um, in terms of whether either the WEP or GPO impacts federal employees, it depends on which system you were covered under because WEP and GPO apply if you get a public pension where you haven't been paying into the social security program, like Massachusetts school teachers, like state and local employees here in Massachusetts, like federal government employees covered under the civil service retirement system. But anyone who's covered under the FERS or federal employee retirement system, i.e. hired since the mid eighties, is not impacted by the WEP and or GPO because they're paying into the social security program as they earn that federal pension. Yeah, and I think, you know, for for purposes of today's show, we'll, you know, we'll try to limit the the information to, you know, Massachusetts, um, you know, just just because and obviously if somebody somebody else happens to be listening that that doesn't apply to, hopefully they'll call in and, and ask that question and Kurt <laughs> I don't know. You might, you may or may not know the answer, but um, if I don't make it, if I don't know the answer, I'll just make it up. Okay, fine. As long, yeah, I think as long as you just said that, that then we've covered ourselves. Yeah, um, only on once a year. They'll never see me again until next year. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Alyssa's got this thing streaming uh, live. I guess I don't know if Alyssa, you want to announce that? So maybe I don't know if people can even to you know know where to find that. I do. It's on Facebook on our Facebook page, McNamara Financial. I have. We're live on Facebook right now. Okay. Is so that, I, you know, people could ask questions there if they wanted to also. All right. So I assume you're man, you're manning that. I am. Or womaning yeah. that. I don't know. Yes. We have millions of viewers. Yeah. Millions. I mean, the term is staffing. You're staff. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> um, so, you know, Kurt, I think, you know, obviously, yeah, we've got lots of stuff that we can talk about and, and should talk about, but. You know, I always think it's kind of interesting to kind of start with, um, you know, where, you know, where Social Security is, you know, these days as far as, you know, its uh, sustainability. Uh, you know, that's been a, you know, kind of a hot topic for for years. Um, you know, people have been looking forward to when, you know, perhaps, you know, outflows, you know, start to exceed inflows. Uh, and I think, you know, that that originally that that year is is rapidly approaching i don't know if that has been you know altered or adjusted or, or if you can kind of maybe update us on on what you know as far as that that situation sure. yeah and it's a great topic and uh people ask the question all the time uh and uh, i always like to remind folks uh, i've been working with the social security program between my 34 years with the agency and now 11 years, so about 45 years now, I've been affiliated or dealing with social security and answering questions. And that same question has come up each and every year. 
is it going to be there for me in the future? And we still haven't really dealt with it. We Nobody's dealt with it yet. Well, sure, sure. Um, but, you know, I would go starting, I started to work for them in 1976. I go to Zarnowski family functions and my uncles, uh, my father's generation would sidle up, put their arm around me and go, Kurt, is there going to be anything there for me? You know, and, and so it's, it's always like to remind folks, uh, Social Security has this board of trustees. It uh, consists of the Secretary of Health and Human Services, Secretary of Labor, Secretary of the Treasury, Commissioner of Social Security, and then two members of the public. And each year by law, they're required to issue a financial report on the health of the Social Security program. And in that report, not only designed to tell people the current state of the system, but also they're required to project 75 years into the future. So the 2020 Social Security report or the report on the status of the program through the end of the year calendar, calendar year 2020 will be coming out sometime this month, right? But the most recent report came out in April of 2020, dealt with the status of the program through the end of the year 2019. The important thing is that's pre-COVID. So we'll see what the impact of COVID on the system's financing has been um, within a month or so when the latest trustees report comes out. But that 2020 report says, as currently constituted, assuming no changes to the program whatsoever, no increase in taxes, no cuts in benefits, trustees project that Social Security has enough money on hand to cover 100% of the promised benefits each and every month between now and the end of the year 2034. The report then goes on to say, which a lot of people tend to overlook, that at that point going forward, despite what some people, particularly younger folks like you folks, may think that Social Security, well, there's not going to be anything there for me whatsoever. The report points out Social Security's primary source of income is payroll tax dollars collected from employers, employees, and people who are Mm self-employed. So absent a complete collapse of the United States economy, Social Security will always have a revenue stream of some sort. It's never going to be nothing coming in. And the trustees report projects that beginning in the year 2035, while there is not projected to be enough payroll tax revenue coming in to cover 100% of the benefits that have been promised, they do project, absent any changes again, there'll be enough money coming in to cover 79% of the benefits that have been promised over the course of the next 75 years. So put some context on this, the issue confronting Congress in dealing with the future of the program, it's not how do you close 100% funding gap by tomorrow? No, it's by how by the end of the year 2034, do you close this 21% anticipated funding gap? Yeah, so that's not totally disastrous. It isn't, it's a lot different than most people tend to think. Again, that key point is, Payroll tax dollars yeah. provide the basis, primary basis for Social Security's funding. And so yeah. as long as you've got this stream of income from people working and the healthier the economy is, the more people working, the more people paying payroll tax, the healthier the Social Security program is going to be. And I feel like I read in Biden's plan that he's actually um, proposing to raise the cap um, on the amount of money where people would pay into Social Security, right? It's like, you don't pay into Social Security unless your wages are over like 140,000, right? And I think the Biden's plan is proposing raising that, or or there was a donut hole or something. Yes. No, that's the thing, he's got a very interesting yeah. So yeah, good point, Alyssa. Yeah. 
if you're in a job covered by Social Security, and again, you're up to around 96% of the jobs in the country fall under the Social Security umbrella these days. Last big group of holdouts, state and local employees in a number of jurisdictions, including here in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. But if you're in a job covered by Social Security, you as an employee are going to pay 6.2% Social Security payroll tax this year, or for every year, there's a maximum level of earnings upon which that payroll tax is imposed. <clears throat> this year, 2021, you're gonna pay that 6.2% on the first $142,800 that you make. That's matched by your employer. Mm-hmm. And if you happen to be self-employed, you have the privilege <laughs> of paying the combined employer-employee rate. But there's up to this taxable maximum figure. Last year it was 137.7, this year it's 142.8. Okay. Now the important thing is, when it comes time, so you could make a half a million dollars, but you're only gonna pay this year social security tax on that 142.8. Important note is, when it comes time to calculate your benefit, which is always based on an average of your 35 highest years of work under the system, social security wouldn't average in the half a mil, no, they average in only the earnings yeah. that have been subject to social security tax. Parenthetically, though, in addition to that 6.2%, you also pay a 1.45% Medicare hospital insurance tax matched by your employer. Now, the thing is that 1.45% Medicare tax is imposed on every dollar that you make. Yeah. So you're really paying 7.65% on the first 142.8 this year. Anything above that, pay an additional 1.45%. What the Biden plan proposes is that you'll continue to have this um, maximum taxable level of earnings, say that 142.8. But then for anyone who is earning $400,000 per year or more, they'll reimpose the social security payroll tax. So if you fall in that gap this year between 142.8 and 400,000, you won't pay any additional social security payroll tax. If you have $400,000 or more, that tax will be reimposed. The other thing that's interesting about it is he keeps that $400,000 level stable, but allows the taxable maximum to increase as it does year over year. Okay, so the donut hole gets smaller, yeah. Right, and at some point it closes down. But that's one of the proposals he has for improving long-range solvency in terms of generating more income by having higher earners pay more in Social Security payroll tax, but initially anyway, for people making that 142 eight or less, they're not gonna see any change. Was that, yeah. was that, so Kurt, was that, just I'm curious, you know, was that, <clears throat> was that a suggestion that was made by that, you know, board of trustees to, you know, to him and his, you know. No, his, no, this was, this was part of his uh, campaign literature. Okay. Yeah what he had proposed that he would do. Now, he hadn't done anything about it yet. Yeah, right. He'd been dealing with other things. And and to some extent, that's one of Social Security's problems, if you will, is that it isn't a program that's in any type of immediate crisis. There's no yeah. danger of payments not going out next month or next year or the year after. <clears throat> the bigger issue is down the road. Now, the, the time frame is shrinking for Congress to act. But as we see, Congress tends to lurch from crisis to crisis. Yeah. 
But no. we all know that this is so much easier solved if we do it 14 years in advance versus, but, you know, a year in advance. Right? Would, yeah. Any financial problem, the more time you have, the better. Yeah. That wouldn't you be know, that wouldn't be our style to handle it ahead of time, you know. No, absolutely yeah. right. Um, yeah. And so in terms of, well, what are some of the solutions? Well, there's a million of them out there. You know, if you think about it, you pair it back. Social security is money coming in it's money going out. And so the issue confronting social security, I like to remind folks, not altogether different from people's situation at home. Right. At the end of the month, you don't have enough money to pay all your bills. You gotta do one of two things. You gotta either bring more money in or pay less money out. Kurt, right. Kurt, I gotta, I know you're on a roll there and you can, so, you know, keep that thought. Uh, we're going to take a break. Uh, you're listening to McNamara on Money. We're talking Social Security today. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. We are back. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money, the South Shore's very own financial talk radio show. Uh, this is Kirk Reed, uh, joined this morning by my wife and business partner, Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Uh, and also our special guest today, Mr. Kurt Zarnowski of Zarnowski Consulting, uh, running out of Norfolk, Massachusetts. Um, good morning. Uh, for those of you uh, just joining us, um, you know, so Kurt is a um, semi-retired. Uh, he was a longtime uh, employee of the Social Security Administration uh, and still works um on a you know private capacity, um, educating uh, people uh, about Social Security, uh, and we have him on the show uh, every year to uh, chat about things. And um, during the first segment, we were kind of talking about you know the uh, the health of the Social Security system, um, and just you know so just I guess real quick to recap, uh, Kurt, I think you were saying basically. You know, the it's projected to be, you know, 100% sustainable through uh, 2034 um, or 2035. Um, and then perhaps, you know, a 20%, you know, reduction. Uh, at the, but that's if they, if they do nothing. Um, and so we, we chatted a little bit about, you know, a couple of things, you know, perhaps that they do. And I'm sure there are other things that have been, uh, you know, mentioned. But um I think maybe we should kind of move on. Um, I, can I just ask one question yep. on that? Cause, just because I'm curious, and I, I was reading the Biden proposal on this, but I can't remember. I just had a question. I didn't know if Kurt knew the answer. And again, this is just Biden's proposal. Like, uh, you know, nothing has happened. Nothing has gotten through Congress yet. But so, uh, so on Biden's proposal where, you know, again, someone pays 6.2% Social Security tax on wages now up to 142000 And then Biden's proposal is that, so for people that make over 142, but up to 400, there's some respite there, right? And no social security tax, but then earners that make over 400, he's reimposing the tax. But my question is, is the tax on all the dollars or the dollars over 400 in his proposal? I believe it's on dollars over 400,000. Okay. The other thing is I recall that's interesting is in terms of giving people credit for earnings, for benefit calculation purposes, they limit it to the taxable maximum each year. Okay, so yeah. More, yeah. but not necessarily getting anything more out of it. Right, that, I was assuming that was the case. They're looking for more revenue. They're not oh, looking to, here absolutely. you can pay more in, we'll bump up your benefit later. Yeah, I figured that. But the difference between you know a tax earner making 
401,000 and one making 399,000. Again, I just didn't know if his proposal was for the tax to be on all the dollars or I mean, probably just literally there's the donut hole and the respite and then dollars above. That makes, that does make more sense. Mm-hmm. Otherwise you would want to shrink, you know, someone making 401 is way worse off than someone making 399. So that makes sense. Well, is that any different from manipulation of right. the code right. these days, you know? Right. Where- right. I suppose we can move on. I just always get tax rate out there, so you want to, you know, try and drop below where you bumps up. Anyway, so couple of couple of things. Um, So interestingly, as I mentioned, the numbers I'm citing are as of the 2020 trustees report, which was the system as of the end of calendar year 2019. We don't yet or haven't seen anything that incorporates the impact of calendar year 2020 and COVID and its impact on the future of the social security programs. Well, That'll be pro- interesting. Probably won't be good. It's, well, it's, no, you can never tell. You guys, you yeah. guys worked all last year. Yeah, that's true. And, and the people, so right. certainly there were people, unemployment was higher, but if you think about it, you know, it was the people towards the, lower end of the income spectrum who who most suffered and, and maybe uh, couldn't transition to work from home right right, right. Yeah. So, so again we'll, we'll see how all that plays out but then looking yeah. down the road in terms of this is the point i was going to make before uh, we went to break social security it's money coming in it's money going out not altogether different from the situation at home you don't have enough money to pay all your bills you either got to bring more money in or pay less money out yeah. and with social security and, you bring and, more money in you can do that by, well, that tax rate, that 6.2% payroll tax rate has been constant since 1990, 1991, yep. almost as long as McNamara on money has been on the radio. That's true. So, so you could, as a way to bring some more money in, bump it up. Now, you don't have to increase it to 10% or anything like that, but you could bring it up by a tenth or a couple of tenths of percent. That would bring some money in. Mm. You could play around with something akin to what the Biden proposal is and increase the taxable maximum a little bit. You know, there's a number of different things you can do out there. You could somehow bring under Social Security those last holdouts in state and local governments and get them to be paying into the system. I mean, there's a whole number of things out there in terms of slowing down the outflow there's a bunch of things you could do there too for example we mentioned your benefits calculated by averaging your 35 highest years of work under the system oh. well maybe you increase the number of years that uh, are averaged to yeah. 37 38 or something capture like that. more lower earnings years exactly. when you're yeah exactly. um you could play around with the annual cost of living adjustment yeah yep. you know slow that down a little bit yeah um, so there's any one of a number of, th- and, and well, no, and we haven't had a chance to talk yet about full retirement age. Well, yeah. or, oh, can I, can I, can I, can I, speaking, going back to those real, you are, you are like a locomotive trying to stop, uh, Kurt. I know, um, he gets so excited. We, I was excited too. I had another question on that. Well, Why do we have a caller? We have a caller and I, I'm not sure if it's Mark from Sharon or if it's Mark and Sharon. No, it's, uh, okay. It's uh, Mark, it's Mark from Sharon. Okay. Uh, Mark, can you hear us? Yes, I can. Good morning, and do you have a question for us? Good morning, yes. I was in the uh, National Guard back in the late 60s, and I was um, six months uh, 
active duty and six weeks basic training. And then for six years, I went um, every other weekend and two weeks in the summer. So I started collecting Social Security at 67. And at the time, um, I didn't think much of it, but I never mentioned that I was in the National Guards. But then recently, I'd read a few articles. So I tried to find out if I could receive any more benefits. So I started the research myself online. And I tried calling Social Security, which is almost impossible to reach. And when I went online, I got you know many, many articles, but nothing seemed to be quite clear. So my basic question is, since I wasn't the National Guard, am I able to collect more in Social Security, even though I started collecting um, eight years ago? Sure, good question, comes up all the time. So here's the thing, back in the day, and, and pre-1957, I believe, you know, if you were in the military or in the guard, you weren't paying into Social Security. Uh, but since 57 and then some change in the mid-60s or so, believe, Mark, if you went back and took a look at your payroll records from your service, right. you see you were paying into the Social Security program at that time. The change that, or what some of this literature is out there, you know, it, it implies that just because you were in the service, your benefit would be increased by 10 bucks a month automatically. What it was, was if you had periods of prior service that you could show you were on active duty, they would give you credit for earnings that would then perhaps be included as one of your highest 35 years in averaging your, your um, the earnings to calculate your benefit. So if, you know, if you go back and take a look at some of your records and see if you were paying into Social Security at the time, which I think you probably were, depending on when you were there in, in the 60s or so. Um, right. And, and so that was, that was the deal, that if um, you had had earlier service where you weren't covered under Social Security, you weren't paying into Social Security to provide proof of military service, they could give you some additional earnings credit, and that additional earnings credit might result in a higher benefit for you. But you, you have to go back and double check. And I'm guessing because of what you said for years, you probably were um, having social security tax deducted from your um, reserve time. And and, uh, and so you've always already been given credit for that. But what you're saying is that I had to have served full time before I went into the National Guard? No, no, no. I'm just saying while you were in the Guard, you were getting paid Right for right. your weekends, and and I'm I'm saying that since the '60s, you know, if you've been in the guard or ready reserve, Social Security tax has been automatically deducted from your pay. So okay. you've already been credit for that service. So would Social Security have records of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That should have been reported, just as you know, if you were working for a regular employer, then your earnings were reported to Social Security, and those okay. earnings should have been incorporated and considered when they calculated your benefits six or seven years ago. So how does one get through all the paperwork and phone calls and everything to find this out? Because I find it's almost impossible to actually speak to somebody. You know, I'll tell you, Social Security, it's uh, with the, the COVID situation, it's uh, exacerbated the situation. Um, right. People, nobody's working from the offices anymore. They're working from home. 
Um, and uh, absolutely, it's a, a tough situation trying to get through. All I can say is you, you just got to keep trying. All well, right. Also, their website is very helpful. If you go to socialsecurity.gov, I believe, right? Anyone can create a login and you should be able to log in there and see what records they have for your recordable wages for your lifetime. So their the website is pretty instrumental. You not only can you see benefit estimates, but you can see the records that they have on file for your earnings annually for your entire life as far right, as I know. Right, but I don't know if it specifies yeah. um, exactly if those earnings are from the National Guard or from, they may give you one, um, yeah, in other words, it doesn't specify exactly where those earnings are from. No, it doesn't. Right. No, it's just yeah. annual taxable wages. Right, exactly. Right. And that's the difficulty. Um, all right, I'll continue to look into it. And um, is there anyone I could hire to do this for me if I didn't want to spend the time or the effort? Not that I'm aware. Not that I'm aware. Yeah. Uh, Mark, you. I mean, I, I. The only way to do that is to like. Is the only way for him to really confirm that the information that Social Security has on file is to pull a tax return from those years, right? And and reconcile it with what Social Security has on file. So if you don't have your tax returns going back this far, right? I don't know how you reconcile that. Do you, Kurt? Well, the other thing you can do, perhaps, is write a letter to uh, Marker and Sharon, probably your local social security offices in Norwood, and just right. write a letter, send that in, and just ask and say, I was in the, the guard and reserves, whatever, you know, because somewhere back in the social security headquarters and their records, they will have a discrete breakout of, of uh, you know, say your, your 1966 earnings total is $7,000. They'll have right. a, a, a breakout of, of, of what, goes into that $7,000. So you could, uh, rather than spend all your time frustrated on the phone, you know, I'd suggest writing a letter, mailing it to the to the Norwood office, um, asking them to have somebody check and, and, and get you a detailed earnings report. That's what you right. wanted. Now, if it turns out that they do owe me money, can I receive money that I haven't received for the last several years? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, but again, it's 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 only going to be. It's not like you're automatically due another hundred bucks a month. It's a question of whether or not, with these additional earnings from the mid '60s or whatever, your earning for that particular year now jumped up, and were part of the 35 high years of earnings right. that you used to calculate your benefit. So right. they give an extra hundred dollars in earnings for the year. And the year is still lower than the lowest of your 35. It's not going to result in any additional money for you whatsoever. That's a real distinction. A lot of people aren't clear on. It's not an automatic. It's like a tax credit versus a a, a tax deduction type of thing. Yeah, you know, it doesn't guarantee you more money. It's the possibility that that additional year could now be folded in and used to calculate your benefit. All right. Very good. Thank you very much. All right, stay safe. Good luck, Mark. Um, so, anyway, so, so the, yeah. the, the runaway train. The other thing you can do. <laughs> oh, it, it was. Was it going that whole time? Was it running? <laughs> no. The other thing you can do, and we're just finishing up. The you know you could slow down benefit yeah. payment by addressing the whole issue of 
full retirement age, early retirement age, life expectancy is increasing. So you maybe you make people wait a little bit longer before yeah. they start to collect. That slows down. So there's any one of a number of um, options that are out there. But the, you know the key thing is we said a while ago. There's no crisis in the immediate future, so Congress yeah. isn't going to deal with it. Right. You know, there's legislation introduced all the time that gets nowhere. I've also heard proposed legislation to means test which I thought was interesting. I don't necessarily love it, but I felt like that could be like the American way to handle the problem. I, I think that would be an abomination. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't like it, but I heard it and I said, that that sounds like something that our government would pass. I don't know, it just, you know. Well, so so I wouldn't, the, the yeah. hallmark of social security has always been, as I said right up front, it's an earned right. Yeah. You pay the tax. Everybody pays, everybody plays. Yeah. You, know, you, you pay, you meet the requirement, you collect. It hasn't been means tested from day one. Yeah. And, and uh, it was Roosevelt who said, uh, you create a program for poor people, it's a poor program or something along those lines. Mm. Oh, interesting, so, yeah. So that, uh, now what you've seen yeah. though, interestingly, and I'm sure the two of you are aware of, since 83 is in a means tested hook in that higher income social security beneficiaries have been required to pay federal income tax right. on a portion of the benefits that they've received. And a lot of people don't realize is the proceeds from the taxation of benefits gets transferred back to the social security program at the end of the year. The IRS, oh, figures, out, oh, I didn't know the that. IRS figures out how much additional money has come in from the taxation of benefits, oh. transfers that back to social security. So that in those tax thresholds, Established back in 1983, if you were a single tax filer, you had income above 25,000. Couple filing jointly, income above 32,000. Those have remained constant. They haven't been indexed for inflation. So as a result, more and more people find themselves in a position at the end of the year of having to pay federal income tax on a portion of their benefits, which results in more and more money coming back to the social security program. Oh, so it's almost like a return of benefit. Absolutely. So it, so it is almost like means tested. To, to right. some extent, yeah. to some extent you have that. It's sort of, Thank you know, a, a, a secret, a double secret probation. Thing. <laughs> totally secret. I never knew that before that right. it goes back to the administration. I guess that's- Yeah, you know, you know, so that's yeah. an important thing. And so, because it, it just, last thing we'll move on, but 1983, taxation first came in, only about 10% of all social security beneficiaries at the end of the year paid federal income tax on a portion of their benefits. Now, because the thresholds have been indexed, it's about half. Okay. You know, so it is generating additional revenue for the social security program. Oh, interesting. I guess, you know, since we're talking about that, because that, that was obviously going to be a, a, a topic was, you know, how is social security taxed? So maybe we could just talk about that a little bit more as far as the details. So... You know, so and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Kurt. But so, like, if I would never you know, correct you. Oh, okay. Well, I leave right. that to Alyssa. Okay. <laughs> um, if somebody, you know, either a single person or, or a married couple, you know, that's you know retired and collecting Social Security benefits, you know, if if Social Security happened to be their only source of income, they would not pay any tax on that, correct? Probably the case. Probably so the case, a, okay. So, so here's what the law says. Yep. In figuring out whether you'll be required to pay federal income tax 
on a portion of your benefits, you first have to calculate what is called modified adjusted gross income, or sometimes referred to as combined income, which consists of three things. It's your adjusted gross income from the bottom of your 1040 minus your social security benefits, your AGI, plus tax-free interest that you may have received in the prior year, plus 50% of your social security benefit payments. You add those three things up. If you're a single tax filer and that number is under $25,000, then no portion of your social security benefits are subject to federal income tax. If you're a couple filing jointly, if that number is $32,000 or less, no part of your social security benefits subject to federal income tax. So then it basically comes down to if you have no other income, is 50% of your social security benefits uh, under 32,000 right. for a couple filing jointly or, 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 or whatever. So, right. um, but then, so then there's a, a second tier. So for a single tax filer, if you have that modified adjusted gross income between 25,000 and 34,000, then 50% of your benefits subject to federal income tax, treated as ordinary income taxed at whatever marginal tax rate you're at. For a couple filing jointly from 32,000 to 44,000, 50% of your benefits thrown in the hopper, taxed as ordinary income. But you have income above those thresholds, now you're at the point where up to 85% of the benefits that you would have received in the prior year subject to federal income tax, again, treated as ordinary income tax at whatever marginal tax rate you're at. So 15% of your benefits are always federal tax free. 15% always federal tax free, up to 85% though, could be treated as ordinary income taxed at whatever marginal tax rate you're at, depending on whatever other sources of income you have. You know, that's another, I don't know if that's something that's been, you know, talked about as far as, you know, making the entire 100% taxable just to help, you know, if that could help the system in some, you know, some capacity. It could, but here's, here's the rationale, though, for that, uh, why it's 15%. When Congress set that maximum of 15%, they had done a study of a traditional contributory pension system. Oh, system where you pay some in, your employee, your employer pays some in, and then you draw benefits out. And what that study revealed is that over a person's lifetime, 15% of what they receive represents a repayment to them of their own contributions. Okay. 85% what somebody receives in that traditional contributory pension program represents a payment of their employer's contributions plus interest. Wow. So if you think about it. So if you think about it, when you're working, you pay at 6.2% on your first whatever, but you're also paying federal income tax on your total income. So that if you were then to, so, so that 15% protected amount really is designed to protect against double taxation. Right. So that you have already been taxed, federal tax, you know, if you're getting 15% back of what you had paid, oh, okay. that you had already sense. paid federal income tax on that money. So that, that's why that threshold is there. Oh. Because it 
And again, that's what the study revealed. Uh, how, how many years ago was that study done? I feel like there's no way it's 1585 anymore in terms of your contributions, <laughs> employer well, plus interest. Yeah, so that was, you know, 20, 30 years or so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that was designed to avoid that whole issue of double taxation of oh, how can you tax me on my benefits when you already taxed me on my contributions. Oh, interesting. The rationale was, no, we're not taxing you now on this 15% because that was your contribution that was already taxed. That's interesting. Having said that, if they taxed 100%, you know, 99% of the population wouldn't know or understand, right? That, that, that right. there was double tax right. there, yeah. Hey, let me close the loop on taxation. All right. What we're talking about is federal taxation of social security benefits. Question always comes up, well, will I have to pay state income tax on my social security benefits? And the answer is, it depends. Mm. Now, the vast majority of states, 37 out of the 50 states, including here in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, do not tax social security benefits in any way, shape or fashion. All right, so 37 out of 50 social security benefits completely state tax free. But that leaves 13 states that do tax social security benefits in some form or fashion. So depending upon where you end up in retirement, you just need to check on the state tax laws. Incidentally, here in New England, there are three states that do tax social security benefits in some form or fashion, Vermont, Connecticut, and Rhode Island. Yeah. The other three New England states do not. And again, 13 out of the uh, the 50 do not, I'm sorry, do impose a tax, although that's going to drop down to 12 because I think I just read somewhere in West Virginia, they're changing their state income tax laws. So starting this year, um, benefits will, will no longer be subject to state income tax, but depends on where you reside. But the federal tax rules, as they do, apply everywhere at you know that uh, the twenty-five and thirty-two thousand dollars threshold you need to be aware of. Where uh, where does Florida fall in that? Uh, Florida has no state income no tax. State income tax. Right. Texas yeah. has no state right. income mm-hmm. tax. New Hampshire right. has no state income Hampshire, no tax. State All income those tax. regular, you know, the the usual suspects uh, that don't have a state income tax of any sort. Um, mm-hmm. You know. But it's those states that do have some sort of state income tax. You just need to be aware of. Right. Assuming yeah. Assuming you're a full time full time resident. Yeah. Right. Okay, I know we've only got a couple minutes before the break. We should um, announce that we're having Kurt on again. <gasps> the, we have more of Kurt's time uh, available to us. So we're having, um, normally we would do a social security, like an in-person discussion and Kurt would do a presentation and those are always great. Um, this year we're doing it via Zoom uh, as many events are held these days. So that's Wednesday, May, I'm sorry, Wednesday, April 28th. Right, yes. guys? Yep. 6.30 p.m. You can register on our website, McNamaraFinancial.com. You just, there's no cost. You're just going to register and then the Zoom link will be emailed to you. So no cost. Um, but that's Wednesday, April 28th via Zoom, right from the comfort of your own home or wherever. Um, and Kurt's going to go through his uh, standard presentation of Social Security benefits, answer questions, et cetera. So just thought I'd toss that out there. Yes, uh, that was on my to-do list. Uh, so yeah, perfect timing. Uh, we're going to take a break. And for the seminar, I mean, obviously it's a, 
a great, you know, lots of information, but then it's also a good chance to ask, ask some questions because Kurt will take some, take some questions at the end, which is great. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. 